Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey, it's Herbert, mm-hmm. and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast, you slippery little son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, it's comedy in your ears, which we all love. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the About Last Night podcast with my boy, uh, Adam Ray. Uh, hey man, you caught me drinking a vodka. <laughs> cheers, cheers dude. In a six a six feet distance. Cheers. I mean, you sent me those pictures, and I was like, is this guy just trying to make me jealous that I'm stuck in a hotel in a hotel in Salem? He's like, hey man, life's good outside if you can roll the dice. Where are you? Is this your house, Casa de Calabro? So this is Chelan. Yeah, here, check it out, man. You're in Chelan, Kev. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be Chelan. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I frequented this spot many, uh, many a high school summers, and now you yeah. live there. Or you got a summer place. Oh, he froze up on me. You good? So, so we bought, the, we bought this place back in '06. We, uh, the backstory is, uh, we had come here for several years uh, after we decided that Sun River was too far to drive to. We love yeah. Sun River. Sebastian. And our kids were little, four kids, three boys, one girl, all doing great. And they loved to get outdoors. And so we would canoe the Deschutes River. We would go to that observatory out there at Sun River at night, man. Yeah. And the stars were unbelievable. And, and we did that for about five years. Did a dude ranch, took my mom down to Crater Lake. My mom's from Indiana. We just loved the high desert of Oregon. However, it was too far to drive uh, from Seattle. And we liked it down there because it was arid and warm. Yeah. It, April and May, when it, on the west side of the Cascades, it's just drippy and it can be, you know, just, you know, you know the deal. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we, we were looking for something that was, you know, nice and sunny and dry. And so 
but it was too far. But then we discovered Chelan three hours away. And man, in April and May, it is spectacular here. It really is. It's the best. Even, uh, you know, I'm going to be there in September at the Ruby Theater doing sh uh, shows in uh, oh, downtown Chelan. That's so, outstanding. The if, Ruby. Oh, yeah, baby. If, great little theater, man. Very cool. There's a, a cool group that um, I actually did Campbell's last September. And yeah. it's they're they're kind of just starting to try to get comedy in Chelan because it's kind of, oh, you know, hey. uh, without. So if you're still there, we'll definitely. Uh, we, get we're some, thirsty uh, for culture in Chelan. Oh man, we did the uh, local radio station to promote the shows, yeah. and I must—I must have gotten. I've never gotten so many messages because I was like, "Does everyone in the town listen to the show?" And they're like, "Pretty yeah. much." Cozy FM, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. God. Absolutely. Uh, Kev, it's it's so funny just hearing you just uh, share the details of your journey to Chelan. I'm like, I could listen to you just tell that whole story. It's I mean, a great spot, though. It's a beautiful spot. You've been here. You know. It's just a marvelous spot. It really is a unique ecosystem. It's a 50-mile-long glacial lake that's 1,400 feet. It's its deepest point, which is the third deepest in the continental United States. Crater Lake is akin to – I mean, Crater Lake, obviously, is deeper. And Lake Tahoe. But – but do you Chelan is third on <laughs> it's like in the top 15 in the world at deepest lakes you don't know what in the hell lives in this lake. every time i jump into the lakes like hey when that like that loch ness monster draws me under <laughs> oh yeah dude I, i'm terrified that there's going to be some lagoon lagoon creature that's going to be that's going to be my story it's like yeah dude the the wenatchee uh wenatchee sasquatch made its way into the lake learned how to swim <laughs> but kev you have you have these pipes, man, that honestly, it's probably why you were, uh, were able to with the soups and, and now with the Blazers able to paint such an amazing picture for fans listening to the game. Because you even, again, just describing being outside, I'm like, I would do what I did as a kid and turn off the tube and listen. And if you were like, this is, you should be finding a way to narrate some sort of documentary about Crater Lake and ecosystems. Cause even yeah. you just saying ecosystem and the deepest part of this, I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm waiting for just insert some Ricky Pierce jump shot footage and we got ourselves a sold product. Oh, I, I just, I just, do you, you always know, have I, these pipes and always well, have an, a knack for describing uh, anything? We, you know, I, I just think it was like my upbringing in Indianapolis, Indiana. We, uh, you know, we love basketball. There's just nothing else to do there in the winter. Seriously. Really we had three black and white channels on our TV, you know, so it's not like you can dial into the internet or anything. My dad was a World War II in the Pacific on an LST, landing ship transport. Uh, they would come in in the South Pacific and they would drop down this huge gate and they'd have a... Uh, uh, staff uh, a crew of about 25 on the boat but they would hold marines and their their equipment uh jeeps sometimes tanks and these lsts they'd come ashore and they drop that thing and off they would go and my dad was an 18 year old at the time and he was doing radio he was morse code operator up in oh, the, wow. the the con you know where you could see everything you could see the beach the ocean the whole thing he was up there obviously given coded messages that he was receiving to the right. captain. And, and that fascinated me. And then my dad got me uh, into this crystal radio set. He, I remember he got this crystal radio set. And we set it up with this long copper wire and I was able to get the local radio stations. And so I was fascinated with radio and then began, and I love playing baseball. That was my best sport, my mm. favorite sport. 
and I would listen to all the great announcers, Jack Buck at KMOX in St. Louis, Marty Brenham in Cincinnati. I remember when Al Michaels was doing Cincinnati Reds baseball on radio. I mean, oh, that wow. to him as a kid. Uh, the great Bob Prince at KDKA in Pittsburgh. Uh, Harry Carey up in Chicago. I oh, yeah. All these guys, you know, in Indiana at night because that AM signal would just – it would be bouncing off the contour of the, of the country, man. You'd be picking up these signals from like W-O-O-A-I in San Antonio I used to listen to. I was wow. fascinated. I used to listen to San Antonio Spurs ba- uh, basketball on W-O-A-I. So anyway, that's that's how I got into radio. And I, I the pipes, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, it's it may be the the, uh, the Carltons, the, the, the pack of Carltons and the, uh, the, uh, the Jack Daniels that I consume every <laughs> that, <laughs> that you know it's so funny because you know I've now been fortunate enough to get into VO myself and do you know a lot of commercial stuff a lot of cartoons and people ask me like how where'd you get your pipes and I'm like dude weed and tequila honestly like and probably a lot of screaming at my mom growing up and a lot of you know no, I, screaming I, screaming at your buddies yeah, scream screaming at your buddies. At yeah. Your buddy. oh, oh my yeah. God. There's nothing better than just screaming at your buddies. Hey, what and hell is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and quite honestly, screaming at the yeah. tube. I mean, yeah. If you, if you somebody asked me once, they go, "What were you more upset about? Your parents' divorce or the Sonics losing in the first round in '94?" I go, "Dude, the soups." When Matumbo, when people go, if somebody was like, would you rather your parents get back together or or get two more minutes on the clock in in game five? I was like, dude. You know what the answer is. I don't know why you're asking. Oh, uh, but uh, uh, Adam, I, I can't believe you admitted to that, man. But that's <laughs> why, that's why we're here. Oh yeah, dude. But but it's also, I mean, look, I when you got to Seattle, it was '87 when you got to Seattle. Yeah, it was. Yep. How? Um, first of all, just to backtrack one second, did when did you have somebody say to you at some point, like I don't know if if broadcasting is something where you know, because even talking to Rick Riz about this, it's like you hear your voice, his voice, all these th- these legendary broadcasters, and you go, oh, I don't think there's anything else, even if there's another skill set you have, which I'm sure there is, it would be, you'd be wasting uh, your your God give it, like, if you didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it'd be so tough yeah. for me to imagine you not doing this with the voice you have, but I don't know yeah. if there's anyone in your life or... Uh, that told you early on, like, man, you should really think about this. Or is it something that the interest just sucks you in? And then you go, Oh, wow. I'm actually, it's coming easier for me than I thought. Well, my dad, I, I wanted to go into armed forces radio. Cause okay. I, I thought high school, cause we had a high school radio station. I loved it. I knew I wasn't going to be a big time athlete. Like I said, I played baseball, but I, I went to Butler university. It was a D two baseball school. I walked on for two weeks and said, no, I'm not, I'm just not into it. I'm into the college thing. I don't want to do athletics anymore. And I want to radio big time. But I, I actually had a commercial. I worked at a commercial station my senior year and wanted to go into armed forces radio. My dad says, you're not going into the military. This would have been, I graduated in 74. So I missed Vietnam by a year and a half. Wow. And thank God. And, um, what would we have called Sam Perkins? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you went into the war and like missed the uh, whole career t- trajectory, we would add exactly the uh, the big dube instead of the big smooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, but you know, I sure I was thinking, you know, I'll do armed forces radio, I'll go to Europe or whatever. Month, okay, but I did, there is no way. So I did uh, I did radio there in town. <laughs> I worked for a it was called a beautiful music station. So 
they played music essentially that music used to hear on elevators oh yeah Man, i wanted to be a disc jockey so bad i love top 40 but i just wanted to get into radio so i took this gig and i was doing sunday mornings and playing church tapes from eight i would sign on the radio station at 6 a.m and we worked till noon playing church tapes. You know, it's the Lutheran hour. It's eight o'clock WHEI. This is the Lutheran hour. Bam, I hit the button. But, but you know, I'm like 16 years old. And I thought, this is great because I have access to a studio. So while the Lutheran hour would be playing for half an hour, I'd be in the other studio playing like Led Zeppelin, like doing talkovers on Led Zeppelin and just practicing my craft. Wow. And then we'd come back and I'd be, you know, like a, it's, 8.30, this is WHEI, the temperature, the temperature, <laughs> not temperature, the temperature is 65 degrees. And it hit another button, and then, you know, and then, you know, and then the Mental Health Matters report, you know, that would air for another half an hour. So we would do this, I would do this like every Sunday until I got a gig doing Saturdays and Sundays and doing, and doing news on radio. And then I actually worked at a radio station that hired Dave Letterman to do afternoons. I did weekends and did news on the weekends. You guys grew up in kind of the same area or what? In yeah, Indianapolis? he grew up in yeah. he, he all state, was from Indianapolis. Now, Dave, of course, is about 10. I'm 64. Dave's probably 10 years older than me. Yeah. But everybody knew Dave Letterman. I mean, that was coming up in, in media like I was because he was doing weekend uh, weather at W uh, Channel 13. Wow. WTHR Channel 13 in Indianapolis doing weather. And he would do his stand-up comedy while doing weather in Indianapolis. And brilliant. it was the most unique stuff. It was absolutely brilliant. And then he took off and I think, and then went to New York. No, he went to LA from there. Yeah. to LA where he got his started and, and did stand-up comedy because that's where he wanted to go. But uh, yeah, Letterman and then Jane Pauley from NBC. Oh, yeah. Temporary of Letterman. And so everybody was plugged into Jane because she's, you know, she's on the network. She's on right. NBC. That was really cool to see those two, you know, come up out of Indianapolis and just, just knock it out of the park. And I know you commentated uh, high school basketball games. Was it yeah. at your high school or just high schools in Indianapolis? It was at my high school. So ben like Davis, I said, right? Baseball player, Ben Davis High School on the west side of Indianapolis. We had our own radio station, WBDG. And I got to do games when I was a sophomore. Uh, That's early. School. It's really early. And and for three years I did. And it was terrific because you'd go on the road and you would set up your own little system, your, your, your little Shure mixer and your Electra Voice 635 microphone, which, by nice. the way, was so durable, you could take that and freaking hammer nails into wood with this microphone. It was a, an amazing piece of equipment, the EV635 with the Shure mixer. And then you would plug into a phone, a regular, you know, an old analog phone, remember, with the handset and the whole thing. Oh, yeah. You would screw off the mouthpiece and attach gator clips and then would run the gator clips in to the back of your shore. And now you have a connection into the telephone system. And now you had a feed. But you would you did have no back feed. So you would go on the air and you would say, and... If you're listening at home, if you could just dip the level about half to let me know that you are getting our signal. And so, <laughs> so <when you're, laughs> That's yeah, amazing. <laughs> it was just so much fun. And we had, you know, we had a terrific high school basketball team. And they were great guys. I knew them all and would train against them, you know, doing baseball and stuff. Yeah. And we with them and, and, you know, would compete with these guys in the summer. It was just, it was the best time uh, of my broadcasting career without question doing oh, high wow. school. Oh, wow. Because, you know, you didn't know what the hell you were doing. Like sure. one night, 
doing, we thought we were doing a JV basketball game. We came back to the studios, which were in the building, and we were all pumped up with great, you know, giant pride. We were the Ben Davis Giants. We were pumped up with giant pride, only to see Dana Webb, our instructor, come out and go, how'd you guys do? Oh, we did great. It was, did you not listen? No, because you weren't on the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Learning lesson. It was a yeah. great so, did you, anyway. did, Do you try to come up with – because, look, I mean, let's – and we'll go down memory lane in a sec, but like you've, you, you have coined so many classic, not only nicknames, but calls in your, uh, your hoops career. And uh, I'm always curious, you don't go in. It's like when people ask like a comic, it's like, you're not going in when you're writing to come up with a great closer. You're not like, this is going to be the big bit that you just, you know, in the flow of the art, you end up finding things and you go, all right, well, this is something that I can come back to. It's, I mean, you know, even when I do crowd work in my shows, it's like I try to always keep everything spontaneous and organic, but there are a couple of staple things that I have in the uh, arsenal if something happens with a drunk party or a whatnot, just something quick to kind of, you know, if somebody's, if a, there's a real drunk gal and she's blurting stuff out and yeah. she's like, my friend lived in Kansas City. I'm like, cool. I used to play the clarinet. Welcome back to who gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And it always crushes. And uh, it's a quick thing to kind of, you know, just get a laugh and yeah. move on. So in going into this, like, especially at Ben Davis, are you like, all right, I got to have my classic Calabro catchphrases. Or are you like, all right, let's just kind of start to get into this career and, and hopefully they'll come to me just the more comfortable I get. Yeah, I think that was uh, the latter's because okay. I kind of, I was kind of tipped on. I, I did Purdue basketball. Uh, before I got to the Sonics, and I did Kansas City Kings basketball for right. one season before I got to the Sonics. And in both cases, I was um, I was enthused. I was fired up to be there, man. I really was because all I wanted was like one shot at doing an NBA game. Believe me, to do as many games as I've done, I I thank God for every game I get to do, even the bad games, and there are a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, Cleveland in the middle of February with oh. Cleveland without LeBron. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. <laughs> Those are tough nights. So, and, yeah. and we, but you know, you just, you love, like you say, you love doing this. A craft sports casting is a craft. There's no question about it. The, the more you do, the better you get. You hang in there, you take your lumps, uh, you make an ass of yourself, you learn from it, you move on, you get better. That whole thing, you know, it's just like, but the stand up comedy would be insanely crazy. That would be so edgy. I don't know how you do that. Because with the basketball, with the play by play, you have an event you can speak to a real event you can speak to. Now, maybe you as a stand-up comedian can speak to the event that's happening in front of you. You make certain observations of the crowd. That, I think, would be probably what you do. Yeah. I make observations of the play that's coming at me and, th and things that are happening in front of me. And the catchphrases, yeah, you use the catchphrases. If you can, like, create something new on the fly, yeah, that's a little nutty. You know, I've failed more often than I've succeeded, but more often than not, it's just the quality of that game that you're broadcasting. It really, uh, I mean, any good play-by-play -play guy will tell you, you're only as good as the event you're doing. That's it. You're only as good as the event you are doing. And if you think it's all you, then it's really not, in my opinion. But you know, uh, what, what Riz, uh, Rick Riz told me, he said what Dave Niehaus told him is that he goes, there's never a bad game or, or, or no, he's like, there's never, even if there's a bad game, you can have a great broadcast. Oh, you and, absolutely can. And, and one thing that my dad and I loved growing up in the 90s, listening to you and, and Marcus Johnson, I mean, you, A, are able to speak 
you know, narrate the game so quick, like every, you know, uh, pass, dribble, coming up the floor. Michael hands off to Peyton, up fake, drives the slower Ellis into the lane, turns the corner, stops, in midair, gives off to Kemp, he juggles it, got it, hooks it up, missed it, rebound, Cage battling with Ellis, saved in bounds by Peyton, right to Kemp, beneath the lid, stutter step, in he comes, blocked, got it back, hooks it up, no, rebound, Kendall up, no, blocked by Williams, grabbed by Kemp, in the lane, following jumper, blocked by Williams, outside of McMillan, cross court to Gary for the three, yes! Like you were able to see the game almost before it was happening, which, uh, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that is a skill set I think very few possess. But then also, like you mentioned, you were so pumped to be there. Kev, you could feel your enthusiasm through the uh, radio, which, you know, let's be honest, man. Not every broadcaster has, like, I think most of them, yeah, they're coming in with a genuine amount of enthusiasm. But again, like everyone, everyone's got a different point of view, a different set of pipes, a different register a different uh so your enthusiasm what even though if you were to ch you know check your uh, your heart rate versus a bob costas you you know pound through the radio more than like a costas enthusiasm you know what i'm saying well and well but but i and i appreciate that thank you very much but in defense of costas the national guys are neutral they come in neutral well okay. I'm, I'm a sonic guy Okay. Oh, I'm a blazer guy now. And, and so when you spend time with the team, you have an emotional investment in the team. There it is. Must come out in the broadcast. It absolutely has to come out. The thing I loved about Niehaus is the fact that with Niehaus, God rest his soul, I love the guy. You didn't near, need to hear him tell you the score. You knew in the tone of his voice what the Mariners were doing. You knew if they are on top by 10 or if they're down by 10 in a, about 10 seconds with the tone of his voice. He would give you a score, which also drives me nuts when young announcers don't give the score enough. Every 30 seconds, old Red Barber had an egg timer. He did the Yankees. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. You turn the egg timer over, and when that egg timer runs out in about 30 seconds, why you give the score. Give the score constantly. If nothing else, you could be the boom goes the dynamite guy. <laughs> Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. But give the oh, friend, yeah. but forgive every mistake you make. <laughs> just give me the score every 30 <laughs> seconds. You know? it's, it's all good. It really is. So, yeah, uh, I think those are, you know, the, to me, those would be the keys to, uh, to announcing. It ain't, it ain't brain surgery, as right. I say. When, okay, so you get to Seattle in 87. You get yeah. – what's, what's getting that NBA job call? I mean, is that just tears, calling your folks? You're like, wow, because like you said – your whole goal was to you were like just give me one nba game and now you're getting hired with bob blackburn to yeah, yeah. to be but a part of i'd yeah, already done, I'd already done a year with the king Ken's, yeah right and, and so that would have been two years before they moved to sacramento so okay. we're 83 84 and i had done purdue the year before you know purdue is a d1 basketball powerhouse located in lafayette indiana two hours north of indianapolis this was a big deal. And this was the year after I'd done minor league hockey. So I did minor league hockey for a year, the checkers, and loved it and thought I was pretty good, even though I knew nothing about hockey. And then the second year I did Purdue, and now I'm on to the Kings, where I worked for a whole year, and it was phenomenal. My first game, we're at Kemper Arena, and the Los Angeles Lakers are in town featuring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy. Holy you shit. 
of the showtime. So, and Chick Hearn's doing the broadcast. So I went down and introduced myself to Chick Hearn. And now I've got a friend for, well, until he passed away, Chick Hearn is now, you know, my buddy. Cause I, I went down and introduced myself and, you know, Hey, Mr. Hearn, heard a lot about you, you know, and I didn't want to tell him though, growing up in Indiana though, how, you know, I didn't hear a lot of your broadcast. You know, my real basketball guy is Jerry Baker, my old Pacer guy from 1967, man, when the Pacers started in the ABA. Jerry Baker was the announcer then. He will always be the voice of the Pacers, in my opinion. Anyway, he was my guy, but but I'm talking to a Chick Hearn, and it was terrific because Chick was great. He would tell me about his team, and we played the Lakers four times that year and then played them again in the playoffs. That right. Year. And I'm 25 years old. And just a quick story. We roll into Los Angeles on the night, the night after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had broken Wilt Chamberlain's all-time scoring record in Utah. They roll into L.A. We are in L.A. The Kings are playing the Lakers at the old forum, fabulous forum. And they're going to have a special night for Kareem because he is now the number one all-time, you know, leading scorer, still is, in the history of the NBA. And Chick, I remember going up talking, hey, Mr. Hearn, how you doing? Good to see you, Chick. You know, hey, man, how's your club? That's the first thing you want to know. How's your team doing? And then he said, hey, heads up. We're going to have a big thing for Kareem. I'm going to go down and MC. Are you ready to, like, ad lib? And I said, wow. He says, yeah, we're going past tip-off time. Big deal. He says, Wilt may be in town. Wilt and Kareem were at odds at the time. They didn't know if Wilt was going to show up. And Chick Hearn says to me, we can put a patch into my feed and you can draw it and you can send it out if you want, if you want. I said, I'm in. He had a one arm. I swear to God, Adam, he had a one armed engineer named Monty, one arm engineer. Monty goes to work. He pulls up the cables. He's two rows down below us. He pulls up the cables, plugs it into the sure mixer that I just told you about the sure mixer with the EV 635. I mean, hey, this is bare bones, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to do the broadcast from LA. And they're going to do, and sure enough, here comes that signal up from the to the floor into my mixer out to the all 10 listeners in Kansas City. We're listening <laughs> to the podcast. And Chick Hearn is master ceremonies down on the floor. And here comes Wilt. The crowd is going nuts because Wilt shows up. He's got a black tank, silk tank top, black kung fu pajama pants on, and black slippers. It's freaking Wilt Chamberlain, who must be like nine feet tall this night as he walks into the forum to greet Kareem. <laughs> oh, and yeah. they high five, they hug, and the crowd is just freaking going off. <laughs> and we've got this, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how good is this, man? Oh, yeah, how dude. Is you know? That is I mean, unbelievable. Really, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. So, so anyway, long story short, I do the season. I do it well, but they change radio stations. It was not uncommon back in the day. They would change stations because these teams were – they were making no money. They didn't yeah. have the bazillion dollar contracts that they do now. I mean, this is 83, 84. And now granted, you know, Magic and Bird are there and, and, and now Jordan joins in 84. Now you get a feel that the league is going to catch fire, man, because these guys are transcendent, iconic, universal type stars. And uh, you get, and you know, not that Kareem wasn't, not that Magic wasn't, not that, you know, but now they're all, it was like, it was like all the super friends, man, are coming together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all together now. Welcome to King Squadro Hotel. May I have your last name, please? Good morning, ma'am. Can I help you? Oh, my, what happened? Oh, Bellmen are clumsy and stupid. Still Bellman. You've had this job since high school, right? 
Why, actually, now I am the belt captain. Oh. All right, kid, you ready for check-ins? I was born. I think he was gonna say I was born ready. Steve's the captain. Captain Steve. <laughs> the closest thing we have to a god on Earth. Gunther Gashimane! It's worse than I thought. He's a complete slime ball, right? Oh, yeah, no question. Do you feel my foot on your foot? That's not me. There's something under the table that feels like a foot. What are you doing right now? I'm working. I got a promotion! I just lied to Kelly. Why would you do that? I don't know, man. I just want another shot. Sid Whitman worked his way up the ladder and bought the hotel. Mr. Boss! Do me a favor. Take it easy on the dome, man, would you? I'd rather have crack guard melt my balls. Take care, boys. I mean, it's a huge scam. And those girls are in on it, too. Don't you want to know what our bodies are capable of? Yes, Girl, yes, oh, definitely. I just work here during the day, but I'm, my nights is off. Let's do this! Gunther is conning everyone with spirit fresh. <laughs> you broke into a guest room! This! He's unacceptable. He has been impersonating a manager. And that is a felony. I don't think that's a felony. He should be fired! Get set! I mean, I'm not sure he's ready for... Shut up, bitch! <laughs> With our minds, we begin to urinate, and then, for real, into our pants. And so that was the mid-80s, and you really got a sense that this league is now going to take off, because in the 70s, they had real issues that, you know, I mean, we could do a whole hour on that. Sure. But now it's the mid-80s and things are starting to cook and you're getting a real sense. And so I had a real hunger to be uh, to be in that league, you know, and to stay in that league as long as I could. Uh, what was it like in – that was a, an amazing story, by the way. Thanks for sharing that. I'm just kidding. There's nobody there. Hey, guys. Comedian Adam right here. Hope you're enjoying this episode of the About Last Night podcast. Boy, I got to tell you, I've been feeling good lately. And the reason why – Koi CBD, that's right, back in the game, feeling like my best self. Look, Koi CBD is the best CBD company in the business. I don't care what you hear from other people, other comics, Koi CDB, CBD. See, I got so much BBD, CBD inside me, I ain't even fucking talking right. You know why? Because I slept well on the Koi CBD gummies. That's right, they've got everything from tinctures to bath bombs to gummies. Uh, they got a skincare line coming soon. They got hand sanitizer during these times. It's very important. So... What you want to do, if you want to start feeling like your best self, you want to take some Koi CBD bombs, put them in the bath, okay? What? Yeah, come on in. Jackson, I'm doing an ad for my podcast. Can you say, hi? Hello. Say, I use CBD gummies. I use CBD gummies. From Koi. From Koi. Koi's the best. Koi's the best. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. I feel like my best self. I feel my best self. Look at these muscles. Look at these muscles. Kiss them. If you get Koi CBD right now, you go to KoiCBD.com, promo code about last night, and you get 20% off your first order. That's incredible. Bath bombs, tinctures, skincare, hand sanitizer, gummies. They've got everything. They're my favorite. It's who I use. So start using it for you too. I can't recommend these guys enough. They're homies and all this shit works. Jackson, say 20% off. 20% off. If you use the promo code about last night. If you use the prank call after night. About last night. About last night. Show them those guns again. Kiss them. Mm. 
Enjoy the rest of the episode. What was the team like in Seattle when you got there? Was it uh... – so, so, I get there a year before, Bernie Bickerstaff and the Sonics win 39 and go into the first round against the Dallas Mavericks and beat the Dallas Mavericks, who were heavily favored. Roy Tarpley, uh, Rolando Blackman, Brad Davis. I mean, that was a hell of a spot. James Donaldson, my wow. man, James Donaldson, Washington State. They go in, they beat Dallas, then they beat Houston with the with the twin the original twin towers Samson Akeem and Samson wow yep Mookie Blaylock point guard that was Nate Nate lit him up it's Nate's rookie year out of Ooh. North Carolina I'm not Ooh. doing the broadcast remember but it's X-Man it's Chambers Dale Ellis lights up his ex Dallas teammates the great Dale Ellis one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time a thousand percent phenomenal doesn't get enough credit in my opinion oh. but I mean I think he he does in the lot. NBA players, but yeah. Yeah. It's like it's that picture perfect gooseneck. And <laughs> yeah. and he and he did in Dale's six eight, he played center at Tennessee. He didn't need to get off his feet because he's six eight. So he's already up above any defender that's coming at him. It's it's like he's got nobody in his face when you think about it, six wow. eight. And he's like that release point. And Dale was stoic. Uh, his his demeanor was deadpan in a game. I love Dale Ellis. And Tom Chambers was fiery. That dude was oh, yeah, man. Could shoot threes. Remember, he could put it on the deck, drive, soar to the rim, throw with two hands. X-Man 6'5", led Wichita State in scoring and rebounding. I mean, he and Bo Kimball, I think, two of the last guys to do it. Uh, as, as, I mean, check me on that. Fact checker. Um, and, and it was a, and just played with a fire and, and, a, and a, just a wild, uh, you know, craziness that I loved. And so that was the team that I then started with my first year. They had gone all the way to the conference finals, and then the, 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 my first year with them, they still have X-Man, Chambers, and Ellis with Nate McMillan now back in his second year, just doing a phenomenal job. Yeah. And, it, and Bernie Bickerstaff, the coach of the team, who was just the best, one of the best guys you could possibly learn from. Um, you know, he, 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 he Bernie was – uh, a player's coach. He was great with everybody in the media and just did a phenomenal job of the Sonic. I couldn't think of a better coach to start with. And his assistant coach with, was the great Casey Jones. Oh, wow. Who so took around, over, right? I was around Casey Jones, and then Casey obviously took over. And then when, you know, Casey was tough because Casey's working with a young team. We then, by that time, Chambers leaves. He goes to Phoenix. He's the first totally unrestricted free agent. Yeah, we trade X down to Phoenix. We get Eddie Johnson, who was phenomenal. Eddie Johnson, one of the great three-point shooters, and Eddie was great for our team because he gave us this maturity and and stability that yeah. I don't think we had. And you know, the, it was fun to be with that team because the team evolved. It kept evolving, evolving, evolving until they, you know, they lose two two games in the first round. Obviously, to Denver when they win sixty-three, they're the winningest team in the in the league at that time. Well, so so, so every year pieces were getting added, right? Every so, year. So Gary and Sean get drafted. That's like 90, no, 80, no, 90, 91, yeah? 90, 91. And then, and then 
you remember Derek McKee? Dude, I mean, kind of, kind of an X factor. Out of Alabama, six ten defender, long and rangy, but did not have an offensive mentality, and they needed offense, and so they traded Derek, which broke everybody's heart, to Indiana and got Detlef Shrimp back, and and it was an improvement. It was yeah. it was one of those deals that was great for both clubs. Indiana, yeah. Derek flourished in Indiana, <laughs> and Detlef was a you know Detlef was sixth man of the year at Indiana, and he comes on and he's now he's a starter with us, and then we lose to Denver. And then we lose to the Lakers. Kendall Gill, remember him? He was our two guard. Oh, oh, Kev, I'm going to send you a picture. I wish I could pull it up right now. I should have had it ready. But there's a picture. I sent it to Bob Stelton, and we brought it up when I was on with the boys a few weeks ago. But there's, I got down courtside somehow at the Coliseum early. My mom took me to a game. Every year we'd get like a six-game package. And we're sitting up in the rafters. But we come down courtside. And, you know, I'm at this point in my life, as I call quick fat for my basketball years. And uh, – <laughs> So I'm wearing what looks like an adult-sized sweatshirt as a sixth grader. And Kendall Gill in these amazing 94 Sonic warm-ups that we had, the white and green. And, right. uh, and I go up to Kendall, and I take this picture with him. And we end up – I'll send you a picture, Kev. I don't know how it happened. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I put them out. He holds my hand. We're holding hands like we're taking a picture at senior prom. And I posted on Instagram, nothing on my feed has gotten more likes and comments I tagged Kendall. He commented. He goes, this is fucking incredible. <laughs> I love Kendall. Kendall Gill was a hell of a player. I saw hell of an playing, athlete. I, I did some college games. I saw him playing the Final Four at, uh, in Seattle uh, and, and loved Kendall Gill. But so so tell me. A, oh, yeah. He had a tough series against the Lakers. Yeah. And he had a tough year with George that last year. And. Uh, he and George were just uh, constantly at odds. And I think Kendall just, he just wanted out. And so, you know, the, the, the Sonics were lucky enough that Hersey Hawkins was available and they went right. and got Hersey Hawkins and Hawk was fit in beautifully with the club. I mean, he, it was like he had been with the club the previous five years. Well, so take me through just the nineties of Sonic basketball, those early nineties, because, you know, we've all watched, so many YouTube clips and, and docs, and obviously, you know, Sonicsgate uh, painted a, a pretty good throwback um, of, of, to reminisce. But, but, man, like, as a fan, and the Coliseum to me, look, Key Arena r- rules and will rule the new one they do, and it was a great uh, home for, for basketball. But, man, that Coliseum, like, when you look at old clips, and I feel so fortunate that I went to games, walking yeah. through the Seattle Center in the 90s, yeah. uh, which was just so – cool and unique there's no way to describe it other than really walking through it but to go to like a sunday uh 12 30 game or a or a wednesday night game and walk through the seattle center and you got music and 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 art and there's just it's just such a cool vibe to be coming up to to see a basketball game and it was so compact and yeah you know you start looking at the arenas that were becoming uh more frequent and yeah it did not you know uh it did not compare but to me, that's why I thought it was great because it felt like you were in somebody's basement, yeah. Like doing a a really, it just was. Everyone was on top of each other. The noise, the excitement was always uh, at sixty miles an hour when the game started, and I think yeah. that you guys had a lot to do with that. The pace of 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 play that we had, I think, also had a lot to do with it. But what was just that time when things started to click? Let's say yeah. like ninety, when Gary and Sean start to show signs of who they were. What was that like for you to watch? Yeah. No, and you paint a good picture of the Coliseum because the, the floor ran north-south and 
the player, the, the benches were on the west side and we would come in from the southwest side of the building. And when you were playing playoffs in May, and if you're really lucky that one year, you're in June, you can look west and you can see the Olympic Mountains and you can see the sun going down, man, which is phenomenal. I mean, there, wow. were, there weren't the big buildings that are there now. They, these were smaller apartments and there was a moving company across the street from our office, just a block west of, of the, the Coliseum. I remember that. And, and we had offices up there. And we could actually look out over the moving company and we'd look straight out on the Olympics. And so uh, it, it was a phenomenal spot. It was a great time to be in Seattle. I mean, it was not that the progress isn't great. It is. Uh, the but, Sonics you know, were the team. They were the team of, of they, they, they were we Seattle's. Were yeah. We, 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 you know, clearly had it going at that time. I mean, everybody had their, their time, but uh, yeah, the Sonics in the nineties, but so, I mean, just to, so it was that you touched on, it was kind of a cultural uh, connection too, because you had, the music was changing. The lifestyles were changing. Stuff was happening in Seattle, and it seemed like uh, most of this edgy stuff was going on in Seattle. Uh, and I, I don't know why, but I, I have a theory. I think it's a confluence of, uh, as I mentioned, the mountains, a couple of mountain ranges, the, the Elliott Bay, the rivers, the nature. Uh, it, it obviously had a lot to do with Microsoft, without question, in the late 80s. Microsoft, I think, spawned a lot of what was going on because we moved in in 87. And, and I, I, I just think Microsoft and Bill Gates and Paul Allen had so much to do with, uh, you know, just the acceleration, I think, of technology sure. and everything that was going on in Seattle and then the response in the arts community and athletics and stuff. It just it was all coming together in the nineties. It was, you know, looking back on it, we're, I'm kind of amazed that all that stuff was happening at the time. I think we were just riding the crest, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Time. All I know is we go over to Dukes on Queen Anne. Oh yeah. Two blocks down. The best. And it was on fire. It was on fire for about four years. It was the craziest time. It was post so much game, uh, post games so around that area. Oh, I mean, God. Oscars across the street, you got, it was so, uh, yeah. It was it was a really a cool time to just be yeah. in Seattle, and I again feel so lucky that we, you know, had you to uh, to, to to you know give us all the games. What was it like to see Kemp and Peyton develop that relationship? I feel like that to have a front row seat to that to see uh, what that um, turned. It, it was terrific. I mean, Gary, um, G Gary and Sean, I think were uh, they had their own little spheres that they operated in, but they worked so well on the floor together. Uh, I mean, Gary knew that uh, Sean was going to get a defensive rebound, going to kick it to Gary, and that he was going to sprint down the sideline and then angle toward the middle, and Gary would meet him with the lob, and Gary would push the ball up the floor. And, and Gary knew that, and you mentioned it, uh, that, that, that whole energy, that whole pulse was led by their defense. They, Kemp was a terrific weak side shot blocker, Gary would sometimes gamble, but what a pressure defender he was. Remember, he was a point guard that was defensive player of the year in the NBA, which is unheard of. Never happened. Is, right. Never happened. And, and you had Hersey Hawkins, who was terrific at, at calculating where Gary was going to go and then backfilling and so forth. Uh, you know, they really – with Irvin Johnson, Sam Perkins, you had guys who were good at the rim but were dominant shot blockers but adequate shot blockers. Detlef was a defender that – it did everything he could, uh, you know, to, to defend. And 
I think moreover, the coaching staff, Bob Plopperberg, assistant coach, he's written a couple of books about defense, SOS defense. Bob's still alive in his late 90s, living over in, uh, in Bellevue, Washington. And he and his wife, Gail, have been married for like a million years. They're the best people in the world. And, and you know, we, we adored them. And Bob was a defensive genius and did a terrific job of installing this defense with George Carl, who had – he had one rule with these guys, and that is – if you don't give me defense, I will not give you offense. I won't mess with your offense if you give me defense. And so everything was predicated off the defense, breaking people down, defending the rim, protecting the perimeter, getting it, and then and then taking it down the floor where Kemp could just like – he draw so many people with him and would overpower people. I saw a clip yesterday of him overpowering Antoine Carr of the Utah Jazz. And Antoine Carr was a freaking massive man. <laughs> oh, a yeah. massive dude. Oh, yeah. He just like right over him. And, and it can't be Matumbo. Now, Kemp had a tough series against Denver because Matumbo played out of his mind. He did. That was we just got short end of the but, on that one. But, but <clears throat> there were many times when Kemp would just take it at these guys and throw over them. Uh, One of the craziest did. athletes, I think, to ever be in the NBA. Oh. I mean, and people I, still talk I, about it now. But you saw I, it, every, I mean, you know, so many nights a week where you just – every game where you like – I would you kind of look at Marcus and the guys and be like, who knows what we're going to see tonight because this oh. guy is truly a one-in-a-million type athlete. Look forward to it every night. I mean, these guys were – you know, not just camp, but uh, I'd look forward to like a matchup between Vinny Askew and yeah. Sean Elliott of the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, good one! When Sean Elliott, when Sean Elliott, who was a terrific scorer, great so player out of Arizona, when he'd hear that Vinny Askew was in the building, it was over. I mean, Sean just that night, forget about it. He's taking the night off because Vinny would come out there and just bogart him. I mean, would hammer him. We called Vinny the fiddler because we found out that he. <laughs> I mean, as unlikely as this sounds, he played violin when he was in high school. You look at Vinny Askew and you're fuck? thinking, I don't see this guy play. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But I like it. Yeah. I like the story. So he, he becomes a fiddler, and, and he would hammer people. We had a guy named Reggie Williams at a Dunbar High School in Baltimore play for Georgetown, and Reggie was terrific, too. He was uh, David Wingate. David Wingate. Yeah. Reggie Williams played it in, in, in Georgetown and was out of Dunbar, but David Wingate was a – he was six six rangy. He and Peyton were really tight. And so Gary had to have Gate with him anywhere he went. And But Gate could play. Yeah. But he didn't play a lot. You know, he didn't get a lot of minutes. But he was cool. He, he Gate understood, I'm getting paid pretty well. we got a team that's winning. I'm tight with the number one guy. I can contribute on, like, every third night. I'm good. We, it was just amazing the role players they had. Steve Scheffler, the chef, dude. Right? <laughs> I mean, I was I was waiting toward the end of the pod to ask you about Scheffler, but for for those of you, and I'll be putting up clips and 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 pictures throughout this. But Steve yeah. Scheffler, I met this motherfucker after a game once to get autographs, and he goes, "Tell me the capital of Florida and the capital of Montana, and I'll sign an autograph." I'm like, Tallahassee and Hel Helena. Boom. No? Well, you would have gotten a signature. Yeah, dude. I fucking drew blanks, and he was like, sorry, He did the kid. same thing with us. <laughs> dude, this guy, people don't realize, a 6'10 brick wall yeah. and oh. and crushed it at Purdue. And yeah. first of all, to get, you know, Scheffler became a fan favorite and yeah. was a hype hustle coming late in the game. 
you know, I guess you could say bench warmer, but hey, man. Human cigar. Yeah. He just was on a team that had that was 11 deep and was like, I mean, really deep. And uh, But he was an essential. I'm sure a practice guy was a workhorse. But tell me from the inside uh, out what Chef was like. Great practice player. He hit it on the head. He and Sean Kemp would bang in practice. Sean called him Barney Rubble. <laughs> Think about it. It's perfect. it's perfect. That's fucking amazing. Barney, Barney Rubble, and then would add a few other, you know, descriptive yeah. words to <laughs> yeah. Jeff. Jeff yeah. would hammer him. And remember, the crowd would show up with chef hats yep. and the chef aprons, and they'd have pants. They'd be banging for chef. Did he love and, it? And chef would come in when the game was over. But sometimes George was very creative. If he, if he found a matchup against David Robinson, David Robinson would play long minutes. The last thing you want to see is Steve Scheffler if you're David Robinson. Oh, yeah. Steve Scheffler had six hard fouls. And so George would send Chef in there just go go beat on his ass. Holy you know? shit. See what you can six do. Six fouls and to give is a dangerous thing to come in the game with. With Steve Scheffler, it is because the dude was – he was – it was a stone wall, like you say. Chef would prefer – I swear to God <laughs> – Chef would talk about sleeping on the floor of his place because he couldn't get the mattress uh, just right, and he and the floor actually felt right to him. And the floor felt it was firm. It was, I mean, and he would go, he would describe to you it is like <laughs> maniacal, crazy ass Purdue type of thing. Why the floor was better? He and Eddie Johnson used to have great debates on the bus. Eddie would uh, take a counter argument to anything Chef would say. Chef would say something like. Uh, well, Eddie, I don't really believe in aliens. And EJ would say, you mean the, the ones in the flying saucers? Yeah. He said, uh, I, I actually do believe in, in, in aliens. And they would get, and they would have a back and forth, a serious discussion back and forth about, do aliens exist? If so, why don't we see them now? What about Easter Island, Eddie? What about Easter Island? Oh, Eddie would go back, and they would go back and they would argue on the existence of aliens. This would be on the team bus. What are other players on the bus doing? Are they just like, guys, shut uh, the fuck up? Like, I mean, everybody's got their headsets on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, it's the normal craziness, you know? Right, it's just right. the normal nuttiness between Chef and EJ. Hey, guys, Adam Ray here for the About Last Night podcast. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Man, it's good to be back. And you know what? The best part about being back is sharing the goodies with you, the fans. I love candles, okay? You know from listening to this podcast, we've always had candles living around the apartment and now my new place. And um, I'm tired of buying the bullshit candles from the store. I want some personal touch. I want something handmade. So that's why I found Hangover Candle Company. That's right. Homemade by a bartender in Fort Collins, Colorado. He's a big comedy fan, podcast fan. Reached out, said, I love the pod. Would love to send you some candles. I'm like, I'm not comfy giving you my address. He's like, come on, trust me. I was like, all right, let's roll the dice. Boom. Now I've got fucking 40 different flavors of Hangover Candle Company candles in my place. Um, They're... Cut, sanded, poured, packed, and shipped, all by him. Um, and you can choose from over 200 different containers, okay, to build your candle in. And over 40 different scents to create your own uh, smell. You can customize your own scents. Shit, man, they've got flavors like uh, fucking root beer, apple pie, cinnamon stick, coffee, fresh cut grass, uh, hazelnut, lavender, leather, maple syrup, peach, pine, sandalwood, spearmint, sea breeze, vanilla bean, watermelon. Go to Hangover Candle Co., uh, on Etsy, okay? Go to Etsy, type in Hangover Candle Co. It'll pop up at the shop and then pick your candles and then use the promo code ALN25 at checkout to get 25% off your first order. 25%! Hangover Candle Co. is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, but again, go to Etsy, 
Type in Hangover Candle Co., find the candles and the smells you want, create your own, and then use ALN25 at checkout to get 25% off your first order. I love candles. They're great for any occasions, bar mitzvahs, circumcisions, uh, fucking weddings, funerals, gender reveal parties, uh, divorce parties, uh, coming out parties, coming in parties, coming parties. These candles are the shit, and they're my fave, and I want you guys to have them. So type in Etsy. Dot com and then type in Hangover Candle Co. and uh, and pick your candles and use ALN25 at checkout for 25% off. All right? Start smelling better. Start looking better. Start feeling better, okay? Because everybody farts, and candles are a great way to get rid of that. And now back to the episode. Was there uh So that 96 finals, I mean, getting there after everything you'd been... You'd been there for, what, at that point, I guess, uh, uh, 13... Uh, no, so about, no, about there, nine years, right? About, about nine years. And I, I, the 90s had been, ter- I mean, we exploded with the addition of Peyton and Kemp, you know, in my third year there. Uh, it just exploded. It was, like I say, the culture, everything that was going on in Seattle. Uh, First the, of all, did the, you think that we were going to get there? Because I really quick need to hear from you. In 94, yeah, in 94, when we lose in the first round, I mean, as a fan, again, and I said, okay, <laughs> compared to my folks' divorce, it is, you're, as a fan, I mean, I cried in the sixth grade, and, and I didn't think – you almost yeah. forget that there's another season. You, it was that bad where yeah. you're like, oh, I don't – you're like, are they going to kick us out of basketball because of how bad this was? You just start to kind of spiral. Yeah, and, you know, and Jordan is out of the league at that point. And right. We, you know, Missed now opportunity. That see, now that we see in hindsight, uh, what an, we knew at the time it was an opportunity, but, you know, you look back now and you're going, geez, that was really a window of opportunity because they had played Houston extremely well. Akeem, uh, they had played well. Kenny Smith, Max, they had had some great wars with Houston. I always felt like the Sonics at that time were a better club. Used to win in those two years uh, in the interim. And so, yeah, you're thinking maybe we waste an opportunity here. That second year when we lose in the first round of the Lakers, remember we're at the Tacoma Dome, and it just that whole year had a surreal feel to it. It's the year after you had lost in the first round to Denver. They still won, I think, 58 or 59 games that year. Uh, they weren't the top seed, but they, they were in the top four seed and they're playing the Lakers who were, uh, you know, like a six seed or something like that. And, or five maybe. And, um, Nick Van Exel's leading them. Del Harris is coaching. Things oh, happen. Campbell, they, yeah. they lose, you know, we, we just weren't playing as a, as a team. We weren't playing together at the time. So they, again, they went back to the laboratory and they, they rejiggered some things. We thought for sure that George was going to be fired. A lot of people wanted to fire him after that the hiccup against Denver. I mean, that was hiccup. That was a freaking heart attack. What was it like for you watching at, at the, on the sidelines? It, it was just sad as hell. I mean, we had such a great run. We were dominating at home and then to lose two games in overtime, the way they did, it was just, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, we're expecting big party, you know, and instead we're down at, you know, South Lake union. We just, we forced ourselves to go out and have a couple of drinks anyway. And we're sitting out there in South Lake Union and just commiserating. And it was just bizarre. We were just shell-shocked. Nobody Did you feel could, a, an overwhelming gloom in the city, too, right? It's like with yeah, that Seahawks Super Bowl. Ready, you feel people it. People were ready to bust loose. And it's like, this is a huge disappointment. And, my, you know, the feeling was that George is going to get fired. Well, he comes back. He'd bring him back the next year. And he had a year left on the contract. And, uh, you know, they lose again. And now we're thinking, well, there's no way George Carl survives right. this. Yeah. And Wally Walker, to his credit, brings George – and they did not have a great relationship, those two. But Wally made the calculation, I think against the owner's wishes, 
to bring George back, and it was a great decision. And George was phenomenal. And yeah, and stepped they it up. Six, they went sixty-four, and the club was great. And they had they had Hersey Hawkins, as I mentioned, and uh, yeah, it was, big it smooth was, was dialed in. Was watching Jordan live at that stage, and obviously you've gotten to see him for for countless yeah. games leading up to that. But now you're running into, as we just saw in the last dance. Did you watch that documentary, by the way? I did. I, I thought it was raw and uninhibited and uh, revealing. Uh, it was I, – I have no faults with it at all. I just – you know, obviously a lot of these stories are told from Jordan's perspective, but I thought they gave enough perspective to guys like Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf, the owner of the team. Krause was a, the general manager. Uh, Phil Jackson. I mean, everybody had their say, I think, yeah. and, and – Great job of storytelling. Sam Smith, the longtime writer there from the Tribune, just a yeah. phenomenal Was watching Jordan play in that series just and, – and I'm curious just even leading up to that point as a broadcaster because you hear stories of, of players mid-game being like, it's tough to not when you're seeing Jordan soar through the air, forget you're in the game because you're just like, holy oh. shit. Now you're – I mean, I, I really appreciate everything he did. Uh, on the floor, but you know, unfortunately, we only saw him play twice. You know, every year, so right. it's like a kind of like the Western Conference version of LeBron. He'd come into the building, and the light bulbs are going off like you know, fireflies in a in a cornfield everywhere. Wow. You know, flash bulbs everywhere because here comes Jordan onto the floor. Just, yeah. just amazing uh, the way that he. Yeah, and I'd already seen Bird, Magic, Kareem when they come into a building, they get the same kind of attention, certainly. Yeah. But you know, with with Michael, it was uh, it, it was really different. And of course, he's you know after they beat us in the finals, he becomes public enemy number one at that point. You know, yeah. he and Magic when they come into the building, like wow, you know, you're gonna we're gonna get get have to get after these guys. Bird right. was the same way. Bird would come in. And I think the Sonics lost like eight years in a row to Bird, and finally when he had the bad back and McHale and Parrish are starting to wear down. Olden Polonies, our rookie from Virginia, yeah. Uh, we, we, go in, for. we go into Boston with Derek McKee on that squad. They were both freshmen at they were both uh, rookies at the time and just mixed it up and got it done. And, and we, we beat Boston that year, but to end like an eight game run or whatever, and finally beat Larry Bird. But yeah, the, 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 the Pippen, the possibility of drafting Pippen, certainly the Seattle supersonics select Scott Pippen of central Arkansas. Scott Pippen from the University of Central Arkansas. That was, I mean, I mean, at the time, I mean, at the time, come on, Central Arkansas, who really, who knew? No, nobody knew. Who knew? You needed a center, right? And it was, every, you know, every, we were infatuated with five men at the time. Everybody, you know, you had to have a big man, Adam, got to have a big man, you know? <laughs> we already, you know, like, like Portland, we already got a guy six, six and do everything. Drexler. Oh, well, yeah. what if you had two of them, you know, like <laughs> six, six and six, seven? Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it just it wasn't the way things were done back in the old days. Would you develop a, a great – I mean, how much are you guys required or do you go out of your way to develop relationships with, with the players? Because obviously you would see in pre- and post-games, it seemed like you guys had a chummy uh, vibe. And uh, like, like when Durant Ray, – Ray Allen, for example, when he comes over, and obviously that's truly, I think, the end of an era when Gary leaves. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Where you're kind of like yeah. – I don't know. You're obviously – businesses as usual and keeping going but you you can't help but kind of feel i'm sure like wow that was kind of the last piece of of that chapter of the team and now we're starting a new one and it's 
it's exciting, but it is different. So do do you go out of your way to then like develop like, hey Ray, let's let's go to Hooters and fucking have some wings and shed <laughs> some tits and just fucking what's your favorite color? You know what I'm saying? Like Ray. Ray Ray has never put a chicken wing in his body ever. <laughs> oh, I do. The guy was disciplined. The guy was no, he ain't going to Hooters. No. He can go to the gym. No, Ray was Ray was terrific because Ray was totally different than Gary. Uh and I love Gary. Gary was raw and unbridled. Uh Ray was controlled was disciplined in his approach he'd show up at the building at like three o'clock shooting jump shots he'd have all these these crazy drills where he'd, he'd have guys throw passes at him at his knees and his his feet and you know up in the air where he'd have to catch and then relocate and find that line and shoot the threes i oh mean he was god he was amazing ray allen was it was it was a it was a true delight to be around ray allen um I I honestly thought, you know, Gary was unhappy with what was going on in Seattle. Uh, I think things had run their course, and Gary wanted out, and so he, he he was out. And and I think to get Ray Allen back was phenomenal. Uh, they yeah, because sometimes back. those trades do not pan out like that. Sometimes yeah, you lose, and you the ownership yeah. and and what's available, you can Ray do Allen. as best. Yeah, Ray Allen was a champion. You know, two stops uh, in his career, and will and the Hall Hall of Famer. So. Yeah. You got a Hall of Famer for a Hall of Famer, one of the great three-point shooters of all time. Uh, the Sonics, then in uh, Nick Collison's second year, it was actually it was his rookie year, but his rookie year, remember, he was out with shoulder surgery. So the right. next year, Ray, uh, or Nick comes back with Luke Rednauer, Antonio Daniels, Vitaly Potapenko. Vladimir, Rednauer, right? Vladimir Radvanovich. Yeah, I mean, this James. Now, you're starting to see now Get, guys get out around that three-point arc. The three-pointer now is becoming a weapon, you know, and this is 06 when they had that great run. Mm. It was Nate's last year as the coach of the Sonics who had won just 38 the year before, and this this season came out of nowhere. It did. Um, yeah. Jack Sigma was an assistant coach and did yeah. a terrific job. Um, yeah, and Bobby Weiss was on the staff. We had, you know, that was a solid team. That was a great run that the Sonics had that year. That was the last, I mean, let's be honest, that was the last, that was our last run of the team being like yeah, competitive and exciting, no, I, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, when KD gets drafted, is that, uh, again, another chapter of like, here we go again? Well, yeah, except that now uh, you're thinking uh, this team is adios. Uh, you know, they draft KD, it's either him or Odin. And we're the number two pick. And, of course, to back up, they had won the lottery somehow. We win the lottery. And so we're, you know, that second spot. Um, and, we, we, you know, we got a break there. And now uh, you got two great transcendent talents, as we think. You know, these are once in – I call them once in 15-year talents, once in generation – NBA generation talents. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like a Robinson, a Duncan. Now you're thinking Odin. Uh, Kevin Durant's leading score at Texas, you know, 6'10", can shoot the lights out of the whole nine. And Portland's got the number one pick. You can't lose because either way, you're going to, you know, you're going to hit it out of the park. Yeah. With the second pick in the 2007 NBA draft, the Seattle Supersonics select Kevin Durant from the University of Texas. And and then it's it's obviously it's it's Kevin. And then they had traded uh, by that time. Ray is gone. Traded to Boston. Rashard got uh, traded. 
guard Lewis is, is like a sign and trade to yeah, Orlando because right. he's a free agent. And then you've got uh, Sam Presti, the young general manager who's on board now, who came up through the, the San Antonio organization with, uh, you know, with Buford. He was a, a brilliant general manager and has been for, gosh, three decades there in, in, in San Antonio. And so Sam goes to work and they basically strip the team down and you're starting all over again. And I, to this day, I, you know, and I was an optimist. I really thought that Clay Bennett would keep the Sonics uh, in really? Seattle. I really did. I Based gonna, on what? Well, I thought the league would somehow step in and either give Clay a team or a promise of a team in the future and that they would try to find some local ownership. Uh, but Clay had worked too long and too hard. And, and frankly, gave up top dollar, 350 mil, the princely sum of $350 million. Can you imagine that? In today's, in today's money, that's $1.5 billion. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, seriously, in today's NBA economics, you think about it, that's, like a, that's at least a billion and a half. At least. Because it, it's a team with two years left on its lease, and he did the calculation. I can sweat this out for two years, and then, baby, I'm gone if they don't get me a building. He knew exactly what he was doing, and I and I don't blame him. I put uh, the blame if you're going to ask me the question. Yes, and at the feet of David Stern. He was running. He was going to God bless him, rest his soul. He did a lot of great things for this league, uh, but this was a mistake. I think he he should have spent more time and effort uh, in keeping the team in Seattle and not allowing it to go to Oklahoma City. And I just you know I'll leave it at that because it's all. It's yeah. all done now anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, there's, there's, there, there obviously would have been a way to – I know expansion wasn't probably, like, the, the thing that was at the top of the list. But, hey, man, like, you know, keeping uh, a team that's with all the history that's been somewhere for 41 years is a is – yeah. it seems oh. like a pretty insane thing to do to make an example of. Yeah. 41 years of championship, multiple Hall of Famers. Come on. Yeah. Well, and, I – in a sophisticated this. city like that, I mean, we're talking nineteen, we're talking two thousand and and six when it's purchased, and this town is like going through the freaking roof. This market's going through the roof. Oh yeah, that's why I thought there's no way they'd move from Seattle. This market's it's on fire right now. Oh yeah, football yeah. was flourishing, baseball was was yeah. consistently great. What I, I gotta say, fans were going were just I mean there were so many great memes and pics and podcasts and things when you said you because I know the Oklahoma City asked you to go with right yeah yeah they were they were great you know they, hey you know we we and they were they were terrific to a number of Sonic employees and some of which decided to go to Oklahoma City for reasons I completely understand you know it's an opportunity to stay in the NBA sure uh, and 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 some of them were native from seattle i mean i didn't grow up in seattle i grew up in indiana as i mentioned and uh and that had to be tough very tough for them and i know several of them and they're still in oklahoma city and they're doing great with that organization wow. really wow. love oklahoma city and you know are doing great work but so it was a tough decision for everybody and then we just decided that we we had no roots in oklahoma city we had 21 years of equity we felt like we had built up in the northwest and in seattle we love seattle we love the northwest we had four kids in four different schools. We were too far along in life to like suddenly decide, now nah, we're leaving this place where we've carved out two decades and we're going to restart. We were too old, frankly, to restart in Oklahoma City. Sure. And so we decided to stay in Seattle. It was a great decision because 
I, you know, since 08, I had more work than I could possibly handle for. Yeah, tell me about that. So, I mean, TNT is when I started hearing you on ESPN, <clears throat> huge playoff games. I mean, I, the amount of people that I would go shut up in the car and turn the radio up and go, you guys <laughs> don't even know yeah. what, how crazy this is. This guy, and I'd basically give him your entire Wikipedia history. And then I'm like, he's now doing these huge games. I go, not everybody gets asked to do that. Yeah. Uh, it was great. What was that like? It was phenomenal. I mean, I worked with Dr. Jack Ramsey on ESPN Radio. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ubi. The great, great Ubi Brown. Uh, I can't – I just – I can't tell you how much it meant to work with those two guys. I mean, you talk about great gentlemen on and off the floor. Uh, really taught me a lot about the game. Great stories and anecdotes. Uh, Did it make the loss of the Sonics in that chapter of your life it, a little easier? It, it, you know, it really did because I, I was looking at that time. You know, I had 21 years with the club, and I thought, you know, it's time now to, like, go out and do some other stuff and challenge yourself and do, challenge yourself and do some other stuff. I did soccer for a year with the Sounders. I yep. knew nothing about soccer, and, you know, I got lit up, but that's all right. I had a great time doing it, enjoyed it for a year, moved on. Soccer's not my thing. Did uh, ESPN TV for a couple of years and had so much fun. I worked with Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. Any of those, you name any of those guys, I've worked with them. Steve Smith at, at TNT, yeah. James Worthy. I, all these guys, I've had uh, Tim Legler, I've had a chance to work with all these guys, both Barry, Rick Barry, John Barry, Brent Barry. I've worked broadcast with all three of those guys. So, <laughs> By the I'm way, so why have they not started some sort of berry farm or preserves <laughs> company like called Berry, Berry, Berry? I mean, something, Triple Berry. Like, I mean, there's too many. I mean, products that very, 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 so no, and, and you know, so all these personalities I had a great opportunity to work with and, you know, I feel like that Peter Sellers, uh, character, you know, just kind of pops up in all these historical moments and just sure. kind of, you know, just kind of there. And, and so it's kind of the way I feel with a lot of these guys, but I had so much fun, you know, how would they view you coming into that? Were they like, they knew who you were obviously. Right. So they were they yeah, like, like, Fuck. okay, you're the Sonic guy. You know what happened with the Sonics? You need to tell them the whole story. And they're like, Oh wow. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. Up there in the Northwest, all this was happening. Well, you know, you guys are out doing your stuff, but, uh, no, it, 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 it was uh, every, everybody, you know, every Marcus Johnson, Lamar Hurd, all these cats that I've worked with, uh, Lucius, I go back to working with Lucius Allen. I did games with Lucius Allen in wow. Kansas city back in the day. Wow. Uh, easy Ed McCauley, whose numbers, uh, retired in Boston. Nobody remembers him, but he and Cliff Hagen were traded from the St. Louis Hawks. There was a St. Louis Hawks to the Boston Celtics for the rights to get uh bill russell so wow. and and so uh you know guys like so i've gone way back with a lot of these guys and so to uh to be able to work with guys of that caliber certainly was uh it was it was very rewarding and just really enjoyed all those years that i did all this stuff you know I'd, gosh it's it went so fast too it was it was eight years and i did I did Pac-12 football with Yogi Roth. I don't yeah. know if you know one of the great guys, great oh, yeah. football analyst. Do you Brilliant. think doing Do you think doing all that uh, basketball uh, with ESPN TNT kind of um, I don't want to say reinvigorated because I'm sure there was a little sense of 
it, it challenges you. Yeah. It challenges you because, you know, you're as a freelance guy, you're not, you know, for folks that don't know, as a freelance guy, you're getting paid per event. In a lot of cases, I'm doing a year-to-year contract. So it's not long-term deals. These ain't, you know, the Al Michaels money or none of that stuff. You know, you're just you're just the announcer. You know, bring the announcer in, and you're working with a crew that you have never worked with before. And I work with some terrific producers and directors of the Pac-12 Network. Just great guys. David yeah. Feldman, San Francisco, does all kinds of great stuff down there. Uh, directors. Uh, any number of terrific directors. That was the, I think the, the most gratifying deal is working with other freelance guys who worked Super Bowls. And I mean, these guys, they're working, they're like everybody else. They, they need events. And this is a big time event, Pac-12 stuff. And they may have done a Super Bowl in the past or a World Series or something. And now they're directing or they're producing your game. And so that wow. was, that was fun, you know, to sit there and just kind of listen to their stories and, and hear about their trials and tribulations. So when the Portland job comes up, are you just like, man, this could not be a more, I, I mean, if there's a, you probably were hoping by sticking with, uh, NBA jobs, right. That something would come along and that I'm sure you and your yeah. wife were like, let's see, like when it comes, like, obviously Charlotte isn't ideal, but like, if that comes along, we'll just cross that bridge when we get yeah. to it. Yeah. No, I mean, there were several opportunities along the way to go elsewhere out of market, oh, really? uh, in the NBA. But I just, they were, they were just too far away. You know, our kids are growing up in Seattle and yeah. uh, we want to be around them. And, and so, you know, when Paul Allen, you know, I, uh, I ran into Paul Allen at a playoff game and he expressed some interest. And a week later, they're calling me and saying, hey, we're, we're making a move here. And which happens in the NBA, it happens in business, it happens in, in, the, in our industry where, you know, for whatever reason, things don't work out. They make a change and they want a new, they want a new feel, a new look, a new sound. Uh, I've been on the other end of that. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not easy. It's never uh, easy to hear, but it happens. And, but when they call you and they ask you, if you want to work, what do you tell them? So, yeah, I want to, you know, I'll come in, I'll talk. Let's, what do you got in mind? So, you know, they had a very popular, uh, Mike and Mike was a very popular duo in Portland for a number of years and they were good. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, they make a change. And so Lamar Hurd and I are in there and Lamar and I had actually done some PAC 12 games. Lamar is brilliant. And it's going to be huge in this industry without question. Mm. Uh, he has a great way of communicating the game, a positive nature, terrific storyteller, does his homework, uh, X's and O guy really gets it. And, uh, you know, it's just really been a uh, uh, great to work with him. And then Brooke Olsendam, who did a lot of stuff for the old Fox Sports Northwest and then went to Indiana, did some Pacer stuff, and now is with us. She is like a freaking star in Portland right yeah. now. I mean, oh, Brooke cool. Olsendam, a star. So, yeah, it's it's been great working with them. And uh, you get, Do you get misty-eyed when you sat down for that first game in Portland? When you oh. were like, I'm the guy here now, This uh, I'm st- st- stability. I, we, I, Seattle adjacent, so, right? The Northwest. I mean, fuck. The, the first game, the first year was tough because for obvious reasons, you know, I was seen as a Sonic guy in Portland, even though I hadn't done the Sonics for eight years prior yeah. to that. It's gone for nearly a decade. Hands have been washed. But um, it still, it, folks were like, oh man, I, I don't know. And I had a kind of a, you know, I had, obviously I had a different style and what did they think you were going to be like, hey, Brandon Roy to the hole? Well, you know, he's no Ricky Pierce. Like, where they <laughs> thought you were going to pull that shit? No. Well, the worst thing that I did, I think, I'll be honest with you, 
there were, I think, two, maybe three occasions where I said Sonics instead of Blazers. And I think that's what folks in Portland were waiting for me to do. They were waiting for that <laughs> first slip. Oh, and no. my first slip, ironically, came in Indianapolis, Indiana, my hometown, where we're doing the Pacers. And I so want to beat the Pacers anytime I'm in Indiana. Even though they were my squad, when I was with the Sonics, an Indiana win at Indiana was it was special to me. Oh, yeah. And so in Portland, I had the same attitude. And we are playing a great first half, and we crumple in the second half. And we're throwing the ball away in the fourth quarter. And I just, I'm just beside myself. It says something about, and the Sonics are collapsing here in the fourth quarter. And I immediately <laughs> caught myself like, oh, my God, you can't do that. <laughs> That's like a comic being like, good night, Detroit. They're like, you're in Bakersfield. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and, of course, you know, I grew up, my career began not in the age of Twitter, but in a written letter. You know, you, you get a couple of letters from cranks. To this day, I still have the letters, you know. I still oh, have no letters. way. But, oh, I do. I do. I absolutely do. Because it just reminds <laughs> you, like, not everybody loves your ass. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you can't get that, like, you know, immediate verbal, like, it's like no fan in Indiana was going to be like, that's the wrong team, no. jackass. No, you know? yeah. no. But believe me, everybody in Portland did that night on Twitter. And, oh, it just, and they just kicked my ass. And so it was like, okay. Yeah. rookie welcome to portland yeah you know, yeah welcome to Portland. you you know like you can't come dancing in here you're gonna have to earn their respect <laughs> sure. and i think and as so after my fourth year this year i felt like okay i you know i think they know that i i'm when the, when these guys lose i die a little bit and when they win i you know i, I get a little pep in my step the next yeah time. okay so you feel about like i was gonna say was there a game or something where you felt like all right the respect has been earned i think they have accepted me as the uh, voice of the Blazers. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was more a case of I feel comfortable now doing this. Right. And if you don't, after four years, if you don't like me, you ain't never going to like me. <laughs> and, and, and I, I will, uh, but I will pledge that I will give you the score every 30 seconds. I'll at least give you that, you know. So, uh, does the Rose um, Garden, uh, or not the Moto Center, does it have a, um, it, it, basketball of the Northwest? It's, it's special. It's a special place, man. It's the I've best. It's, it's the, it's the absolute best. The, the fans are nuts there. Uh, last year, beating Oklahoma City in the first round of the playoffs on the Damian Lillard walk-off three from 37 feet was – it was freaking mesmerizing. Crowd rising to the feet. George will defend Lillard. Spread floor. Lillard with 47 tonight. Working it down to two to one. A deep three. Oh! What? Blazers win the series. A walk-off three from Lillard. You know, and I'll, I'll always be able to say, you know, I was there and I did that game and I thought I had a decent call and our, yeah. TV, our TV broadcast was right on. We, we, we called the shot and then we stepped out and, and we just, we said nothing. And we, Jeff Curtin, our uh, director, has been there for 25 years and um, Dan Hyde, mm. our producer, they did a great job of what they call cutting the game. They t went from shot to shot to shot, showing the players mobbing one another the crowd back to the mob back to the players and just just did a trip for about 10 minutes it was phenomenal and we just sat there and enjoyed it uh it just didn't get any better than that yeah i mean you guys and, and have... to be you know and to beat russell westbrook in oklahoma it had a, it had a special and and paul george is the guy defending damien when he lets the shot go and yeah. you know it just couldn't work, really couldn't work out any better damien i was gonna say Lewis wasn't westbrook. there something a little special for you too like those there's you can't help but get as a sports fan add extra layers 
for wins and losses. And so I'm sure yeah. there's a piece of you yeah. that's like, I mean, for me as a fan, look, when KD Harden and Westbrook left, I had closure a little bit because I was like, especially when KD left, I go, well, now you know a little bit of what it's like. <clears throat> you got this team uh, for, for nothing, and now you're starting to feel a little bit of our pain. But when, yeah, Portland takes them out, dude, that was a very unique situation. And uh, you can't help, right, but feel a little bit of like, like a little, right? Like just a little. Oh, uh, oh. Well, I mean, think about it. So with those three you just mentioned, Harden, Westbrook, KD, they go to the finals. They lose to Miami. Now, how are you feeling if they beat Miami in the final? You're, <laughs> you're freaking crushed, are you uh, not? Yeah, I probably moved I mean, to, to, uh, to Japan and teach, you know, to teach oh. uh, sign language <laughs> to fat kids. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> just, I'm doing something else in my life. <laughs> yeah. Things are not right. No. Things are not right in your life. Uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, to – and then to finally – and then after Damien hits the shot, to know that things are more likely going to unravel in Oklahoma City. And sure enough, it's yeah. just – you know, they're now, – now, granted, they're – they've got some draft – they've got like I, – I lost, I lost count at like eight first-round draft choices over the next four years for these guys. It's phenomenal the number of picks that Sam Presti has stocked up. So, they're going to be definitely a team of the future, and I think sure. they'll be there in Oklahoma City. But uh, I, I don't know how you get any better, though, than – those three cats, man, yeah. with with Serge Ibaka, remember? Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on! I mean, yeah, they, player. It wasn't fair. Yeah. Um. Well, Kevin, do you got about five more minutes, and then we'll uh, wrap this up? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This has been an unbelievable treat, by the way. And and uh, you know, I've got so many um, oh, sports place. fans that listen to this, and and obviously Seattle peeps. And uh, um, I do want to uh, do a, a little quarantine Q and A with you, and then close yeah. it out with um with some fun uh, uh, call uh, uh, type stuff. I did a, um, uh, an impression of you. So remember Cube 93 back in the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it was like the big rap station in Seattle. They did, a, uh, <laughs> they did a contest where people could do a collabro impression to win tickets to a Sonics game. So you call in. So it's <clears> – <throat> I will put the tape in this, and you'll have to go back and watch this episode <laughs> and listen to it. And I, couldn't, I couldn't find it for this moment. But it, uh, I mean, dude, again, like diehard Sue's fan, like you're just a fucking idol to me. So it was like, I, I had you nailed. I pretty much had a call in my head that I just had to remember, memorize and recite. And they had me do it on the spot. And I mean, it was just like, I was like inbounds, inbounds pass from uh, Detlef over to Gary, Gary, uh, uh, you know, dribble up the court, skip pass over to Detlef, Detlef back to Sean. Sean's going to dip it over to big smooth for three. He got it. And I do this whole thing and I'm going nuts. And they're like, all right, great. They go, all right, Pam, now it's your turn, Pam. Some, you know, uh, wife uh, in her 40s in, like, Kirkland. She's like, all right, well, Hersey Hawkins has it. And he, she, and he <laughs> gives it to Sarunas Marshalunas. Wait, he's not on the team? Oops-a-daisy. And he's going to shoot it anyway. Sasquatch is in the game. He can't even play because he's a mascot. But he dunks it, and the fans go berserkos. And they're like, yeah, I think Adam won. <laughs> And uh, and I got tickets to the game, so uh, nice. Well, uh, hey, but uh, but I I wanted to um, do a quick quarantine Q and A, and then uh, a recall on an old game. So, what's your weirdest Sonic in history? Horace Grant, Patrick Ewing, or Kenny Anderson? Uh, weirdest. The weird, uh, like I, that, the craziest, like acquire that we made that you're like, oh, wow, wow. all right, 
Yeah, or I, I, I'll go one further. Delonte West. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. Drink five if you're playing the Delonte West Wally, drinking game. With, with Wally Zerbiak, part of the uh, – oh. Part of the Ray Allen deal to, to Boston. Yeah, that was, Delonte was interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I you know, all those cats, man, were – it was – I don't know if you remember Quentin Daly or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Quentin, so there's this old story. Quentin Daly was on the bench with the Chicago Bulls before they get Jordan. He's playing for Doug Collins as the coach. And Quentin Daly was a, a hell of a player out of San Francisco. And so he's with the Sonics, and we're on the bus. And I said, Q, is that story true about you're on the on the bench and you order some food? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, what I heard was that you're on the bench and you, you ordered a ball boy to go get a hot dog and you ate a hot dog at the end of the bench. He goes, no, man, that ain't true. It was pizza. I had a piece of pizza. <laughs> so I mean, That's we had amazing. so we had some characters, man. What daily? God rest his soul. Yeah, it was uh, fun, meeting you guys. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great story. But best nickname in Sonic's history: the Glove, the Rain Man, or Big Smooth, which you gave all three, correct? Well, no, Big Smooth. His teammates called him down in Los Angeles, Big Smooth. Okay. The Costacos brothers actually coined the phrase "the Rain Man," and the glove Gary gave to himself. So I'm not responsible for any really? of those. Really? Nope. I uh, and uh, but uh, the thing about Rain Man was Costacos brothers did these great posters back in the day. And, but they, you know, obviously they couldn't promote them anywhere. And, and we didn't, you know, we didn't have the big marketing deal that we do now in the NBA, but right. they're posted for sale at the kiosk out in the Coliseum concourse. And I'd see them and think rain, man, that is just brilliant. But I thought, okay, now, but I can't use that on the air or whatever until Gary throws the lob to Sean Kemp and the rain man dunks on the golden state warriors and the crowd goes nuts. And then KJR picked it up and played the highlights and fans just freaking loved it. <laughs> yeah. And so, I was like, I'm <clears throat> on board with the Rain Man as long as I give the Costacos brothers yeah. uh, credit for it. And then they invite me over to their factory, their their studio over in West Seattle, and give me a tour and the whole thing. And everything was cool. And we just decided, hey, man, let's just stay with the Rain Man. Sean's good with it. You're good with it. I'm good with it. We don't need marketing people or, you know, trademark people or none of that bullshit. And we just roll with it. Gary and Trump to Devon to Gary. Oh, oh, oh the tomahawk oh, oh, from the Rain oh, Man. Oh, oh, screamer so much fun yeah thank gary, god oh go ahead gary you know you're great when you give yourself your your own nick <laughs> right i think yeah, it was yeah. just i actually think it was his cousin that gave it to him but gary right. adopted it yeah that yeah yeah thank god sean wasn't like you know what drizzle man actually is more uh <laughs> has more of a ring to it <laughs> drizzle yeah, yeah perfect yeah, yeah. well no, you know because it, it was you saying them with such conviction and vigor on the radio that i think is why it felt like as a fan that that it was yeah you uh, were giving no, I, it to him but but because yeah. you really you know again added so much to it by by saying it mid-game right like yeah. the glove like the way that you did it really added to yeah. the whole mystique about it uh who was a better dunker sean camp or vince carter during his uh during his time i i just think sean just so vicious but you know vince is like uh a human highlight reel and uh you know oh that was that was dominique Dominique Wilkins was the most masterful dunker I've ever seen. Really? But uh, Kemp, I mean, just because of his size, this guy going up and his leaping ability and, and the way he just soared to the rim, uh, Kemp was hard to beat. Vince was just uh, so acrobatic with everything. Yeah. But Sean, though, in traffic against big guys, think about that. Uh, I would have to put Sean above those guys. Okay. Uh, the weirdest thing you've ever heard a fan yell during a game? 
I'd say I'd ask for a player's uh, audio, but I don't know if you could say <laughs> say that. Uh, yeah, in I, you know, here's the thing. I've got I've, with, with the broadcast, we always have the headphones on. And so All right. we are only able to hear whatever comes to the microphone. So you'd hear a lot of, you know, MFs on the air. Yeah. There's coaches and the whole thing. Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was the coach of the Kings my first year, I had a microphone on the on the top of the of the scores table faced out to get that ambient sound, you know. And again, you know, this is a real crude broadcast setup. Cotton would come over and grab the microphone, like tap on it, like, hey, Rook. He called me Rookie. Hey, Rook, on the air. And then we'd put it back and then would turn it back toward me and stuff. He'd play, uh, he'd play tricks with the microphone. But uh, in, in terms of any one liner or something like that, uh, there was a guy named Leo, Leon the Barber in Detroit who was really good. He would ride our players mercilessly. Uh, he was on them all the time. And I remember him screaming out, and you could hear it on the air. He screamed out at Nate McMillan, Hey, hey, Mac 10, if, if Gary Payton is the glove, that makes you, that makes you the mitten. And our, <laughs> our, our players hear this, and they are falling out. Oh, yeah. Leon, cut Nate to the quick. You know, Nate would always play with, you know, very stoic, very, you know, workmanlike. And even Nate was laughing at Leon awesome. calling, him, calling him the mitten. Yeah. Uh, who would win in a push-up contest? Michael Cage, Ray Allen, or Kendall Gill? Oh, that'd be Michael Cage. That dude. <laughs> that dude Come was young. He Come was young. On. Michael's like freaking young. To this day, he's like, dang, this dude. He's got some shoulders that just don't stop, you know. <laughs> He's got those, uh, yeah, he's got those James Conn shoulders. Like, there's a hanger in there or something, you know, up under oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Beast. Yeah. It, Cage was the greatest. And, of course, the players would ride his ass because he used to wear jerry curl all the time. And none of them wanted to get in the hot tub because of the oil slick in the hot tub, they said. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Would him and Chef and Kemp just have uh, probably just battles oh, in, in the post, huh? Battle Royale. And, yeah. and Cage, the nicest guy ever. Love it. And, but worked hard and was yeah. just, you know, solid. Led the league in, in rebounding one year when he was with the Clippers. Uh, really just a just a terrific guy. He's, he's doing color broadcast now for uh, for the Thunder. He's been with them for years. That's awesome. Uh, Coliseum or Key Arena? Oh, I think the old barn. That's where I got my start was the old barn. You know, and we did the broadcast some some years up about halfway up in those like concrete green pillboxes yeah. that were midway up the Coliseum. We we Bob and I would do the broadcast from up there. That actually is where we first started doing our broadcast there, and then they moved us down to the floor. Being down the floor though, again, like the intimacy and the uh, the noise. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, uh, LeBron or MJ? You know, I'm going to go with MJ just because that's kind of where you know I my my start uh although i tell you i lebron james is it's uh, he's amazing uh it, that's such a hard such a hard one it, it really is. is different eras uh, i mean it's like there's so yeah. much at stake to really dissect different, but different rules and yeah. just a whole, uh, different deal but uh just both just i just feel so blessed to see those guys play and like i said bird magic kareem you know all those cats in it's chef. I, I tell you what, any, any Sonic player, any NBA game, I always felt like these guys are so incredibly gifted, you yeah. know, yeah. to be able to 
do what they do. I can't imagine even come close to anything that these guys do. Yeah. I remember going run. I don't know if you remember Jim Farmer or not out of Alabama. Jim mm. Farmer is with us. He, he was like five years in the league, and uh, he, he came over from Dallas. Farmer was like this six four guard. This dude was like yoked. He was chiseled. Yeah. And I decided I'm going to go running with him one day, and we're going we're gonna to run a couple of miles. Well, we run about a half a mile. He's just like getting warmed up. And, he, and I'm in de- decent shape. You know, I'm running probably an eight and a half mile, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, I got my shit together now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Gone. <laughs> Gone. See ya. Yeah. Eat my yeah. dust, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kev, well, uh, before we wrap this up, I, um, again, I want to just say, dude, how, you know, when I met you, you know, just to give people some context, I had, you know, uh, gotten, went out on a limb and found some, uh, you know, re- reduced price courtside seats at the garden in New York. I was out there doing stand up. I'd never yeah. sat courtside an NBA game. My buddy, Dale Tan, who was out there with me, also a, a Seattleite native. I was like, dude, I got these seats. We're going to sit courtside. They're playing the Blazers. I go, it's an ESPN game. I go, we got to get some Sonics jerseys and sit courtside. We're going to be on TV. Let alone do we sit next to Rami Malek and Spike Lee. And there's like this amazing picture of all four of us. Because we, I kept trying to talk to Rami and he was, you know, he was, he was talking enough. Spike, you know, we had one moment where something happened. I did a Matumbo finger and made some joke in a Matumbo voice and Spike laughed. So somebody snapped that picture. It looks like we're all best friends. I posted it being like, hey, guys, Cabo next week. Like, because it, it was just a one moment where everyone was kind of yeah. like locked in. Oh. But I remember meeting you and you, you came over to us because you saw our Sonics jerseys. Uh, yeah, I don't know if yeah, you remember. Yeah, yeah. And you were right. like, what's up, fellas? And we were just like, holy shit. And then we, you know, I was going to be in Portland and we exchanged numbers. And you've just been so cool, man. And, and doing this has been a, a real treat. Um, so I, I really appreciate it. And, and hopefully if you're still out there in September, man, you get, uh, we'll get some beers before the Ruby Theater. And. And you can laugh yourself silly uh, on me. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so. I hope we're here. Uh, we could be in Portland. Uh, NBA, I think what's going to happen, Adam, is uh, I think our commissioner is going to come out next week. And I think we're going to try to play basketball this summer. I really do. And I think Holy we'll try. Shit. Well, and I don't know if it'll be everybody or if it'll just be the top 16. But I think we're going to play basketball uh, mid-July. And I think we're going to try to crown a champion by Labor Day. Wow. What I think is going to happen. I mean, what do you, do you want that? You want something, right? It's different no matter how you slice it. So I, I just think or if they, if they can get protocol right and people can be disciplined and we can go to like two different hubs, maybe one in Vegas, one in uh, Orlando, and we can play games and we can be reasonably assured of safety because there are no guarantees. Uh, I think – I think they could play basketball. I, you know, and I, in terms of what we do, I think we'll we'll be in studio doing broadcasts. Uh, the national guys don't think go in the bubble. I think the national guys probably do it from studio as well because you want to limit the number of people that go in the bubble. Right. By bubble, I mean it's it's not a bubble. It's porous, so you know things are going to happen. Right. But again, you have to deal with the level of uh, risk that you want to take. And so we'll see, we'll see when the commissioner comes out next week, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, we live in, these are strange times, uh, you know, uh, unheard of times. So it's, you know, it's going to be, 
a little scary, but it's also going to be highly exhilarating and interesting to see. Oh what yeah, happens. I think the number is going to be crazy. Well, to get you uh, primed up for that and to flex that uh, broadcast muscle, I want to do something with you to close us out. You know, it was a dream yeah. of mine. I, I told Riz this too, uh, Rick Riz, the Mariners broadcaster. It was a dream of mine to be a, a baseball and basketball commentator. I used to turn down the TV and uh, and do it along with the games. And Riz and I did. Basically, he recalled his uh, 95 one-game playoff inside the park yep. Grand Slam call, and then f I followed it up with my own version of it. So I'd like to do that with you uh, for a call, and I'm going to pull it up on the screen here. And, you know, it, right. again, it's, you can do right. it as now, just what, what you remember. Um, but uh, I'm going to pull it up here, and then I'll play it with the, with the volume down. And, and when I play it, just, uh, just take a stab, yeah? I think you know. There's, this is the, uh, a famous Peyton, Peyton to Kemp alley-oop. So here we go. Tied with 72 seconds left. Here he comes off of a high screen, driving it up into the lane, kick to the corner. It's hard to see the video. Ball comes <laughs> off long. It's Peyton ahead to Kemp. Up and two-hand jam! Kemp has given the Sonics the lead, 126-124. Under a minute remaining against the Warriors. Peyton with a tremendous lob pass to Sean Kemp. As Benoit Benjamin wants to know, when are we getting to the club? <laughs> <laughs> and Mully says, I just want to get out of the way of that jam. <laughs> you see Mully just get out of the way. And Nelly says, I can't wait to get to Maui. <laughs> Look at him. There's, there's Nelly about 500 pounds lighter. <laughs> oh, dude. He's like, hey, hey, per hey, Big Perk, who's your weed guy, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Now I'm going to give my attempt. Here we go. Here's, here's, All right. Uh, all right, here we go. <clears throat> All right, the uh, it looks like maybe Tim Hardaway kicks out to Mullen. You yep. got to give it the – everyone's still kind of shocked he made the dream team <laughs> instead of uh, – oh, there's a Peyton to Kemp. Holy, holy shit, you got to be fucking kidding me. You know he was going to do it. He's up flying high, baby, two hands in the air, pointing to his – is probably somebody maybe one of his yeah. uh one of his friends in the crowd a lot of high fives oh man yeah. at some yeah. point we're gonna miss high-fiving soak it up fellas pat the butts yeah. enjoy that <laughs> that 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 less than six feet of distance baby and mullen uh, just is uh -oh. don nelson is losing his fucking marbles yeah <laughs> and that suit does not match his pants but hey you'll figure that out in yeah. editing baby and that hey, is that you behind him looking yeah. for an autograph <laughs> Quick fat to the left. <laughs> Can't close his mouth. It should be filled with sliders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All right. That was amazing. That was uh, good. Kev, you're the man, dude. I, uh, I honestly can't thank you enough, dude. I hope you had a good time. Was it fun, chat? I had a great time, dude. Appreciate it, man. You're the best. Stay safe. Uh, good luck when the season resumes. Have some fun. Right. And, and, uh, and maybe I'll see you in Chelan in September, yeah? Let's do it. If not, somewhere down the road, brother. I love it. All right, Kev. Thank, thank you, bro. Peace out. See you, buddy.
Just a regular team, your Seattle Supersonics. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. <laughs> 